there just wasn't a thought in my mind. I felt like we'd been through our, our trials and now they were over. <laughs> I learned what I needed to learn and I could move on. We ended up losing that pregnancy and that might've been the hardest loss for me just because I felt completely blindsided. During that loss, I ended up in the ER and I almost lost my own life um, due to a hemorrhage. And that was terrifying. That experience changed me in ways I never could have anticipated. I remember being in the ER and thinking, I, I'm dying and what is my son gonna do? Um, he's not gonna have a mom. Um, I just really felt like I needed to make meaning out of it somehow. Like, this, why did this happen? This had to have happened for a reason. And I can remember too praying so hard in the hospital to God, praying, please let me come through this and I'll do something good with it. Like, I promise. And the things that have come out of that experience are just amazing. I, um, I re-specialized. Now I'm completely focused on maternal mental health and working with moms who've gone through similar experiences, moms who've experienced loss. I had a really hard time finding someone who understood what I was going through and who was able to support me through that. And I felt like, man, I can't imagine not knowing where to turn for help. There's just such a need here in our community and just really nationally to, to help moms. And so I have since really dedicated my life to that. And um, I think, you know, for a long time, I felt like I needed to be the one driving. I need to be the one driving, <laughs> the driving seat kind of, and I was clutching onto the steering wheel. And now I'm totally comfortable being the passenger and just seeing where life is going to take me and where God's going to lead me because um, he's just taken me to amazing places that I never could have imagined that are so much better than my plan. <laughs> um, and so I'm just really thankful for all that I've gone through as hard as it's been. I don't know that I would change it. Good morning, church. Great to see you all. Welcome to Union Chapel today. Glad that uh, you've chosen to join us here on campus. That's fantastic. And of course, those of you watching online, welcome to you this morning. This is the day the Lord has made. We're rejoicing and glad in it. So we trust that you are well and experiencing God's presence and his peace. We've been uh, on a series these last couple of weeks now talking about the power of the story. Everyone has a story. You have a story, I have a story, everyone has a story, and there are two things about that that I want you to be very clear about. Number one, no one cares about your story more than God does. He cares about you. He cares about what happens to you. And so he's very aware of your journey. He cares about your story. And the second thing is that no one has more power to change your story than God does. And so you can be encouraged that if your story has had bumps and hiccups and maybe even devastation in the, in the background of it that has issued in consequences in your life, 
God and God alone has the redemptive power and grace to transform your life and change your story. That beginning at this point in your life, the precise moment of your need in the contemporary reality of now, God can meet you there and change your story. Amen? So be encouraged about that. And today we want to look at another encounter that Jesus had with a person whose life was totally transformed, his story changed. And this is a blind man that he encounters in John chapter 9. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to John chapter 9. And I want to read the first 12 verses of this important narrative. And let's unpack it and see what we can learn about God's story in our lives. Our custom is to stand to hear God's word. So thank you as you're able for doing that. And as he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, Jesus said. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. And after saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Everyone say, ooh. <laughs> Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, no, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm the guy. How then were your eyes open, they asked. He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud, put it in my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, and then I could see. Where is this man, they asked him. I don't know, he said. And we got inspired and struck us through this powerful story today, you may be seated. Thank you so much. This story with the blind man begins with a physical healing, but it ends with a spiritual healing. Now let's unpack the narrative. If you're following the outline, here's the first, first point. We have the encounter. Here Jesus encounters a man born blind. Uh, this is just one more example of the truth that the God we serve is a seeking God. He's a pursuing God. He's an interested God. He's an engaged God. He seeks after us. We know that this is generally true. His eyes move to and fro throughout the whole earth looking for people whose hearts are for him. And he particularly seeks us out and finds us, oftentimes in the most critical, crisis-filled moments of our lives. If, if we pass a microphone around the room today, we could hear story after story after story of moments in our lives when we know that God intercepted us. His, his presence, his power, his work intercepted our lives at a critical junction of life. And we know that God was pursuing us. It's a powerful thing. In Mark chapter 10, we see another blind man. His name was Bartimaeus He's from Jericho. And he heard that Jesus was passing by, heard about Jesus' reputation. So blind Bartimaeus starts crying out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And I mean, he's really loud. People are saying, why don't you calm down, be quiet. You know, it's embarrassing. 
And he even shouted the louder. He got Jesus' attention, and Jesus touched his life and healed him physically. But Jesus summarized that moment by saying, you know, he didn't say, if you have enough faith, you're going to be healed of your blindness. He said, if you want to know God, and you seek and search after him with all of your heart, like this guy named Bartimaeus, you'll find him. And so Jesus was impressed with how intentional and how passionately Bartimaeus searched after Jesus. Jesus said, you, you search me like that, you'll find me for sure. This encounter is much different than that. This is, this is an evidence of the most wonderful revelation. Back to the original point that I was making, that our God is a seeking God. I, can you feel that? You know, I'm concerned that, that so many of us right now, we feel out there, we feel isolated, we feel alone, we feel out of touch, we, we miss the familial, don't we? Even, even now, you know, greet one another. <laughs> it's, it's just not enough, you know, it's just off, and we feel the need for more of that. And yet here we learn that our God is a seeking God. He comes seeking us. We did not choose him, but he chose us. We learn in Luke 15, the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. So it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter what you've done. God is an encountering God and will meet you at the precise place of the momentary need of your life. Amen? Isn't that encouraging? I hope that encourages you. I hope you can feel that. All right, let's move through the story. Second point. Here's the question. Verse 2 his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now, in this day, uh, the belief was that any kind of failure, pain or suffering was the result of sin, either that you had committed or that someone close to you had committed, your parents or family or so forth. So their worldview was that all bad things happened for a reason. You know, bad things happen to bad people. That, that's what they believed. Jesus responds, verse 3, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but this happened so that, he's just given the reason for it, the work of God might be displayed in his life. So again, they believed that you got what you deserve in life, bad things happen to bad people, and in this case, they actually believed in prenatal sin. You know, what did this guy do before he was born to get this kind of punishment? Jesus said he didn't do anything wrong. That's not what's happening. This happened so this guy could be a miracle waiting to happen. This guy is this way so the glory of God could be placed on display today. So here's just a, a rule of thumb. Let, let me just give you something that may sound axiomatic and just common sense, but just take this and put it in your pocket and use it when applicable. When normal sense makes good sense, you don't need to seek any other sense. When common sense makes good sense, there's no reason to seek after other sins. And that's what's happening here. So the question may be asked, is every bad thing in our lives a miracle waiting to happen? Well, maybe, you know, that's yes or no. So why do bad things happen in our world? If God is so good and loving and kind, why then is there suffering and injustice and evil? This is an age-old question. Let me just give you, this is not an exhaustive list, but let me just give you some of the cornerstones of why suffering exists in our world. Here's the first thing. It's the result of negative spiritual forces. 
Now, I'm going to stretch some of you right now, but I want you to listen. I believe that the devil is real and the instigator of great evil in the world. We learn in Isaiah chapter 14, verse 13, and you can look this up. This is a good uh, unpacking, revealing of original intention from the devil. The devil was a designed creature. God created him, and he was magnificent, one of the archangels, and in a lofty position, and thought of himself so much that he thought he would ascend above God, that he would assume a throne that was greater than God. And so it was, it was the first uh, uh, thievery of identity. This is identity theft. The devil trying to become God, greater than God. And so the devil now is loose in the world. And the Bible suggests that perhaps as many as a third of the angels of heaven fell with him and, and lost their way and now represent spiritual forces world forces of wickedness and heavenly places, principalities and powers as they're described. Uh, back in God's school at seminary, we used to debate this. Why, is evil, why does evil exist in the world? Is there a personality of evil called the devil, Lucifer, Satan? Uh, is there a person who is malevolent and out to kill, steal, and destroy in the world? And we debated this, you know, back and forth in the God school. I was assigned to be a pastor at Union Chapel about 40 years ago, and guess what happened to me? I discovered in about two weeks that the devil's real. Yeah, all I have to do is pastor a church for a little while, and you can find that out very quickly. And so, <laughs> please don't take that personally. And, 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 and so that's my worldview. I believe that's true. John 10, 10, Jesus said, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy, but I've come to give you life and to give it to you in the full. So, the reason that bad things happen in the world, one of the reasons is because there's a negative spiritual force loose in the world. Now, here's a second reason why we have suffering and injustice in the world, and that's the result of human sin. Now, please listen to your pastor very carefully. You cannot ignore God, exclude God, live without God, without negative consequences. You can't push God away, push his will and his ways away from you and there not be negative consequences. You can't do that personally and you can't do that corporately as a culture, as a society. To say, God, thanks, we don't need you anymore. We're not interested in what you say or think. We, we have a better idea we're going to do it our way for a while, and we just think, you, you know, it'll be okay with you. You cannot ignore, exclude, or live without God without consequences. As a result, poor human actions, bad choices always have consequences. Now listen to this verse, Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 and 8. Now listen carefully. It says, do not be deceived. Hear the word deceived. Do not be deceived. To, when, if you're deceived, that means you believe something to be true that's not true. You're caused to believe a lie. You're deceived. Do not be deceived. Next phrase. God is not mocked. God is not mocked. Hear the word mocked. This, this, is, a, this is a teasing or a contemptuous 
speaking of, referring to the things of God, the will of God, the ways of God, uh, to represent in some kind of absurd or imitative misrepresentation of ridicule of the things of God, the will of God, the ways of God. Here's what the Bible teaches us. Don't be deceived about this. God cannot, that's the, that's the word, cannot. It, it's not occasionally, you know, you, you, you can't do it to him. You cannot mock God. You can't do it. It's not possible for God to be mocked. No matter how hard you try, no matter how much postmodern and post-Christian culture tries to exclude God and push away from God and think that's okay, that we can do this with impunity. There'll be no consequences. Don't be deceived about that. God is not mocked, the verse continues. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. So, so hear it clearly, and don't be confused about it. For example, uh, in our culture, many years ago, we legalized abortion. And this debate has been ongoing now for decades. And now, uh, in the early years, I'm old enough to remember that when the debate was, was new, that the debate was all about whether or not that's a baby in a mother's womb during those nine months of gestation. And so the rationalization was abortion's okay because that's not really a baby. Well, now we have, now we have uh, sonogram technology, you know, 3D sonogram technology. <laughs> and so, you know, you take a picture of a baby in utero now, and the baby's in there doing jumping jacks and, and sucking their thumb and laughing at the right time and so forth. And it's not, it's, it's, it's not possible to believe that's not a baby because obviously there's a baby. So now we don't really care about that because we have ignored God and pushed away basic values that God has given to us in this world, like the sanctity of life, that every person is of eternal worth and value, intrinsically valuable. We don't believe this anymore. So now we even have politicians running for some of the highest offices in the land who look you straight in the eye and say, it doesn't matter if that's a baby or not. It doesn't matter if you kill it or not. A woman can have an abortion, a botched abortion in the, in the, the end of the third trimester. And if the baby's born alive, the mother will decide whether the baby is put to death at that point. And, they, and, and there's not even any blinking around this. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. What individuals and what societies do, what they sow, they will also reap. So, so we have a decision that was made a few years ago by the Supreme Court to change the definition of marriage. You know, God has an original design and intent for marriage. And it's for this cause a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. And the two shall become one, one flesh. Now, get upset about that. Get, get all riled up about that. Have a different opinion about that. Do whatever. Think whatever. Live and let live. Think and let think. I'm just saying to you that that is a deviation of God's original intent and design, God's will and ways now being pushed aside. Thanks, God, we got it from here. Uh, we, we think we've evolved now enough that we understand that society now will be better off without your notion of what marriage is about. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. Whatever we sow, that we shall also reap. So 
we need to come to terms with the idea that human sinfulness and human decisions and human behavior can consequentially bring suffering and injustice and pain in the world. Another, a third reason why there's evil and injustice in the world is the result of a broken world. Now, this is not my individual sin, but because we live in a broken, sinful, fallen world where stuff happens in the midst of the brokenness. God is sovereign. He's chosen to allow us to live in this broken world until he decides to restore it to his original design, which he will do. So we have to be patient about that. Therefore, sometimes bad things happen to good people. We might find ourselves as a good person. We didn't do anything wrong. We were just minding our own business, and suddenly now we are victimized or treated unjustly or treated unfairly. That can happen. We can conclude and surmise that life is not fair because it's not. We live in a broken, fallen world. It's the nature of the world. Sometimes we get caught in the crosshairs of a world that's broken. Now, this, this little story I'm about to tell has a punchline, so prepare to laugh, okay? <laughs> so, a man robs a bank. He's leaving the bank. A man comes up to him in the bank, and he says, did you see me rob this bank? The guy said, yeah. He shoots him. He almost gets to the door. He runs into another guy. He said, did you see me rob this bank and shoot that guy? He said, I did. He shoots him. He goes out on the street and runs into a woman. And he says to her, did you see me rob this bank and shoot those two guys? She said, no, but my husband saw the whole thing. <laughs> there you go. No, nowhere. All the men are going, huh, 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 Nowhere in the Bible are we promised a pain-free life. In fact, just the opposite is true. John 16, 33, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. Anybody want to contradict that? In the world, you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer. Take heart. I have overcome the world. James 1, 2, consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. So, so the world, the flesh, and the devil are all responsible for injustice and, and evil and suffering in our world. But there's a fourth reason. We learn it from our text today, and it's simply this. So the work of God might be displayed. This is an opportunity for a miracle-working God to do his thing in the midst of our crisis. You may, you may very well be a miracle waiting to happen. You may have been permitted to live in your circumstances so that the glory of God can be powerfully manifested in your life. That's what happened to this blind guy. He's born blind. Who sinned, him or his parents? Jesus said neither. This guy was born blind so he could declare and be representative of the blessing and glory and power of God today when his sight is restored. Amazing. So no matter the cause of your suffering, you, you must remember that the power of God, the work of God, the character of God, the miracle of God can be displayed in your life. God promises that he has the ability to bring good out of the worst situations if we love and trust him. Romans 8, 28. God promises that he can make good come out of anything negative in your life. So God may not have had anything to do with your negative circumstances, but he does have the power to transform and redeem your story. Praise God. Now, I know some of your stories. I look across the room. I know people online. 
I know it's hard. I know it's painful. I know it's exhausting. And I'm not suggesting a way of healing in your life is easy or painless or quick. I am suggesting that God is with you every moment and every step of the way, and he alone can deliver you to the place of restoration and wholeness. Be encouraged to know that God's grace is sufficient for you. There was a Dr. Albert Ellis, psychologist, wrote a book years ago called The ABCs of Emotional Life, and here's his premise. Here's the thesis. ABCs of Emotional Life. He says the A stands for the antecedents. In other words, everything that has come before in your life. All of us have a story. Stuff has happened to us in our lives. We all have a history. We all have a past. And all of us come to this moment with that story. And as a result of that, the C of the ABCs of emotional life uh, has occurred. Consequences have happened. Life has happened. We all have a story. We all have circumstances. And there are consequences to that story. And we all live within the framework of that. But Dr. Ellis wants us to focus on the B of the ABCs of emotional life. And he says that belief is the thing that makes the difference. That in the end, regardless of the antecedents and the consequences, our well-being will be more about our attitudes and our responses and our beliefs about those events and consequences than by the events themselves. I think he's on to something. This is why this worldview is so important to us, especially in days like this. I mean, these are historic days. I've been alive, you know, over 60 years. I've never seen anything like this. We've never experienced anything quite like this. It's, it's odd. It's strange. It's dark. It's pressurized. It's stressful. It's, it's discouraging. Uh, it's, it's weighty. I mean, everybody feels it. And so here's, here's the idea that, that we can find hope in, that regardless of what's come before, regardless of the suffering that we're experiencing as a result, there is hope found as we place our trust and confidence in Christ, that belief in him changes everything. Have you ever noticed two different people uh, going through the, the same kind of tragic circumstances and responding in diametrically different ways. Two different people going through the same thing, but their attitude, their belief, their trust is completely different. I had a parishioner many years ago. He was, he was, uh, he was a, a lost person. He attended church occasionally. His wife was here all the time. He, he, he abused himself. He abused others. He lived a wasted life. Uh, he was pathetic in so many ways. Finally, his body began to break down because of the abuse, and he was dying. And he was in the hospital. He's on his deathbed. He's dying. The doctors have said, that's all we got for you. You're done. And his, his body was in horrible condition. If I described uh, the, the symptoms that he had as he lay dying, it, it, would, be, it would be upsetting. And so he was, a, he was a mess. Three days before he died, I went to the hospital to see him. And his little wife was there, and she was dutiful as she had been. I felt so bad for her. I mean, she had suffered untold amounts of abuse throughout their marriage, and 
there she was, a little saintly woman, <laughs> hanging, hanging on to Jesus best she could. And I went in there, and this guy was fairly lucid, three days before, before dying. And I, I, I sat down, and I looked him right in the eye, and I said, do you have peace with God? And he said, no. I said, would you like to have peace with God? I mean, you're, you're close. And he looked at me, and he said, no, no, I don't care about that. I said, you should care about that. You're going you're gonna to be in eternity here just in a little while. And he said, I'm not interested. Three days later now, he's just hours from death, and he's in this comatose state nearly. His wife is not there. It was late in the afternoon. They had the, the shades pulled. It was dark. It's dark in the room. This guy's physically just in a horrible state. He's, he's nearly in a coma. And I'm, I went to the hospital that day. And I got down and I literally, put, I literally put my lips on his ear, as difficult as that was. And I yelled at him. And I physically shook him. What am I going to do, kill him? He's dead. And I yelled at him. And he roused. And his eyes opened. And I said, you know you're dying. Yeah. Do you have peace with God? No. I said, you need Jesus. Even now he will forgive you and make you fit for his eternal kingdom. His grace is amazing. He'll forgive you of everything. He'll do it right now. All you need to do is reach out to him. Would you like to receive Jesus? And he summoned the last energy of his earthly life when he said, no, just like that. I said, you're a fool. You are a fool. And I'll never see you again. It's a wild story, isn't it? Absolutely true. Just a few days ago, I was talking with another person I know very well, and they are near death. And I said, do you have peace with God? And they said, I have amazing peace, wonderful peace, peace that passes understanding, peace that you can't understand, peace that you can't explain, peace that you can't imagine. In the midst of what I am going through, I am at perfect peace and my family with me. talking about moments in the night hours, just in the last few days, passing between this life and the next, getting glimpses of heaven and then coming back, glimpse of loved ones on the other side and then coming back, the glories of heaven. So I can only describe it as being in and out of the Spirit. <laughs> See, knowing Jesus matters. Putting the belief in the middle of your emotional life and your personal earthly circumstances, that really matters. It makes all the difference in the world. 
This God we serve, this Jesus whom we follow, he's the one who says, look, you're going through this so the glory of God can be manifested through your life because God stands ready with his amazing grace in this moment of your life, in our, my life, if we'll love and trust him. It's really good. It's good preaching right there. The Apostle Paul wrote the book of Philippians from this God-forsaken Roman prison, and everybody thought he was, you know, near death and having a miserable time. And so the first chapter of the book of Philippians, he says, listen, I know you guys think I'm, I'm, I'm having it rough here, but listen, God is actually working this out. This is really a good thing. He said, I've led half the palace guard to Jesus already. And this has encouraged the other saints in town to boldly proclaim Christ without fear. And I know that there's some guys who are out there preaching Christ with bad motives, you know, personal ambition or, or, or some kind of ego. And, and, and there are others, though, who are preaching out of love. He said, it doesn't matter. Just so Christ is preached and his glory is being manifested in the community. And so here's an example of a guy who's in the worst possible circumstances who's saying, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say, rejoice. Wow. So here's the priority. It's point number three, John chapter nine, four. But this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. As long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. So Jesus was saying, look, I don't want to debate the finer points of theology about why this guy was born blind or not. He said, that's not the point. The point is that God wants to heal him today. And so helping and serving others is the highest value. You can fuss and fight and contend over this doctrinal point and this theological issue around suffering and pain and, and evil in the world, or you can get busy and try to help somebody. And Jesus said the priority is to help someone. Number four, now the miracle. Having said this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva. Have you ever tried to make mud with saliva? That's a lot of spitting. Now, if you've ever tried this, uh, depending on how dry the dirt is, I suppose. <laughs> so he spits and uh, spits again, maybe the third time. He's getting some mud together and he spreads it on this guy's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. Don't you love that? This is an interesting means of accomplishing a miracle of healing. Uh, it's really the origination of the phrase, here's mud in your eye. That's where this came from. I guess. I mean, where else would it have come from? Seems like the right. So he does challenge the man uh, with some action. Go wash. And he went home seeing. I love the simplicity of that, don't you? Uh, this was nothing, this was nothing at all for the God of the universe to heal this man's blindness. And what we can learn from that is that no matter your need, no matter your circumstance, God's grace is sufficient. Amen. Amen. Last point. Here's the witness. Verses 8, following, we see this guy encountering the Lord. Your Christian life should be different enough that people who know you best are curious about what happened to you. I'm talking about the power of your story now. Once I was blind, but now I see. The Pharisees got involved. Last week, I mentioned a man whose hand was withered and Jesus healed it on the Sabbath, and the Pharisees wanted to get him for it, legalists. And this was the Sabbath. What was Jesus thinking? And so the Pharisees, you know, they come to this moment. What happened? 
People are saying, this guy was born blind, now he can see. And they say, oh, that's ridiculous. That's not possible. And so they find this guy. Are you the guy telling people that you were, I was born blind. And now I see. And the Pharisees want to debate with him the finer points of the theology and, the, and doing this on the Sabbath. The guy, and he, look at this. He's, he's just a guy. He's a beggar. He's, he's not sophisticated. He's not trained. He he's, has no status in the culture. And so they're, they're working him over. They're giving him a third degree. They're beating him up. And they say, you know, come clean with us. Stop, you know, stop, you know pulling our chain. And the guy said, look, I don't know what to tell you. This is all I know. Once I was blind, but now I see. They said, who did this? And he said, the guy said his name was Jesus. What do you think of this Jesus? The guy goes, I don't know. I've never seen him. No, seriously, this Jesus, what do you make of him? The guy goes, what what do I know? Here's all I know. Maybe he's a prophet. I don't know. Maybe, yeah, that's it. Maybe he's a prophet. This is all I know. Once I was blind and now I see. Are your parents around? Yeah, my parents are still here. They so get the parents. And these Pharisees are threatening them, threatening to kick them out of the synagogue. And so they get spooked by that and intimidated by that. Is this your son? Yes, that's our son. Was he born blind? They go, he was. He was born. We know that. He was born blind. Well, explain how he can see now. And they say, look, he's old enough. Ask him. They don't want to say any more because they don't want to be in more trouble. And so they go back to this kid and, and fess up. And he said, look, do you want to be his disciples too? Do you want to be his follower? You're so interested in him. Maybe you really like him. And they took great offense. Again, he just said, once I was blind but now I see. Can you feel the power of that? Listen, listen to me carefully. A person who has an experience with God always has an advantage over a person who has an argument about God. So you can say to me, you don't know Jesus. Jesus isn't real. You can't have a relationship with Jesus. And I'll look at you and go, hey, dopey, I don't know what you think. But once I was blind, and now I can see, you deal with it. I know what my life was like. I know I was walking in a bad place. I know I was headed nowhere. I know I was lost. And Jesus found me. And I can see. I can see. And I have hope. I don't care what you think about that because that's real to me. Can you feel the power? There's power in a story. There's power in the story. And so the guy finally sees Jesus, verses 35 and following. I put these on the screen. Jesus heard that they'd thrown him out, out of the synagogue too. And when he found him, he said, do you believe in the son of man? And the guy goes, well, who is he, sir? And he says, tell me, so I might believe in him. And Jesus said, you have now seen him. Hadn't seen Jesus before. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. And the man said, well, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Because this guy, I mean, he's he's low-hanging fruit, right? He's a guy who couldn't see from birth. 
And now he can see the world literally has opened up to him. And he goes, I'll follow anybody who can do this. I was blind, but now I see. I believe. I worship you. The story began with a physical healing. It ends with a spiritual healing. And the blind man's faith was very little, but it was enough. It, it has to begin with choosing to believe. I don't know enough. I, 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 I probably feel like I need to straighten some things up in my life. No, no. In the beginning, you just need to trust God and let God change the course of your story. In every service, there are people like this man born blind. There are people in this room, perhaps, certainly people listening online, and you are just like this man born blind. You can't see because you don't know Jesus. And knowing Jesus matters. And you can know him today. You can take a step in his direction by simply admitting the things you've done wrong, confess your sins, recognize the forgiveness that God offers to you through a relationship with Jesus Christ, invite him into your life. Repent of your sin and believe. Put the B in your life, the belief, and God will change your story. Amen? Let's pause and pray. Lord, we thank you for this amazing story. We thank you that you know every moment of every one of our stories. You know the confusion, the pain, the failure, the doubt, the worry, and yet you were there in all of those moments, and you are with us right now in this moment to strengthen, enlighten, to heal, restore, and give us peace. Lord, remind us that your grace is sufficient and that we can find hope for our future, a transformed life, a brand new start, a change of story. In Jesus' name, and all the people said, amen. Would you stand with us?